Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you start the show, I wanted to tell you about our brand new podcast called Tea Time. It's a bi-weekly pop culture show on the Channel 33 feed where me, Kate Hallowell, and Amelia Wedemeyer have four minutes in each category to get at our strongest opinions about what's happening in the celebrity world at large. The episodes air every other Friday afternoon, and you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, a.k.a. Uh. Kevin O'Contrarian, a.k.a. Kevin Won't Get Off of Me. Kevin! <laughs> Chris, that was a beautiful, beautiful note that Bill Walton left your son. It is really touching. I loved it. For those that didn't see, I did post that yesterday. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet Bill Walton. He, along with Candace Parker, Wayne Embry, and Chris Bosch, were all in town to receive the National Civil Rights Museum, which happens to be in Memphis, uh, Sports Legacy Award. And it was the first time that I had ever met Bill Walton. And here's, here's a quick little story, Kevin. He did come to my studio for my local show yesterday, and he walks in. And I tried to talk to him and he puts his hand up like, no. And I tried to say something else. And he was like, save it for the air. <laughs> and I was like, so like I, I tried to say something else. Like I was just like trying to get him set up in his chair and the, and the microphone and whatever else. Right. He looks at me again. He puts his hand up. He goes, save it for the air. <laughs> and I said, Hey man, it's not like I tried to say something else. And he goes, save it all for the air. <laughs> save it for the show and he like is looking at my producer and he's like tell me when there's 20 seconds and he's like doing these exercises and stuff before he goes on the air right he's like like stretching out and like doing all these exercises it's like you're looking in a corner and a boxer is like shadow boxing before the fight's about to start right (laughs) He's like doing these exercises and whatever. Are we talking and vocal exercises or physical? No, exercises? no, 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 no. I'm talking about like if you're moving your arms up okay. in there, like almost yeah, yeah. like a like a like a like a half a jumping jack or something, right? And then and then my producer he says he says 20 seconds, and he puts his headphones on and he sits that microphone. I mean the music starts playing. I mean the the red light comes on and it is showtime for Big Bill Walton. But the greatest thing was I asked him after it was all over. I said, hey. You know, it's weird because the generation of children now are so much more aware of Legends of the Game because of NBA 2K and because of YouTube. So my son has a real awareness of who Bill Walton is and what a legend he is. And so I said, hey, could you, you know, just sign a piece of paper for him? And then he proceeded to write this letter of which my son was just through the roof. (laughs) Obviously, I'm going to get it framed and keep it forever. And it said, uh, chase your dream, change the world. Please save us from ourselves. Bill Walton, 1993. It was great. And what was even more great was uh, Katie Baker from The Ringer reached out to me. And she had written an article, a very long article about Mike Breen for The Ringer, which had an amazing Bill Walton story in it. And there were a lot of people that passed around their experiences with Bill Walton to me. And virtually everyone that has ever come in contact with him has some kind of 
great story about their interaction. And there's so many people that absolutely swear by the guy. I guess at least for a day, I got to experience it. It's pretty beautiful. You know, we're lucky to have Bill Walton. He inspires people. That's for sure. Last night, you went to a basketball game. That I did. The Lakers versus the Golden State Warriors. You saw NBA history with Clay Thompson knocking down 10 consecutive three-pointers. Obviously, the Lakers are in a tough spot right now without guys, major players for their team, not the least of which is LeBron, but recently lost Lonzo Ball. Which, uh, just a side note real quick, Kev. When I saw the injury and the replay, that did not look nearly as bad as the prognosis. I didn't think. You know, when I saw sometimes you see it and you're like, oh, God, no. I don't know. The replay didn't look that bad to me, but obviously they announced yesterday that he's going to be out for an extended amount of time. So, the, you know, it's not the best representative of what the Lakers are, but you did get to see the Warriors again in person. I know you had recently just seen them in Denver. Biggest takeaways from what you saw last night? Clay Thompson is fixed. After that early season, you know, sputtering where he had the the one just magnificent game. Other than that, he was shooting poorly by his standards entering the season. But this whole month, he's shooting over 50% from three. Around since Christmas or so, he's been on fire. Clay Thompson's back. Uh, he's back at playing at an all-star level, um, which he really previously was not for Golden State. So I, I think they're at a point now where they're starting to hit that stride where it's possible, where they're playing at a level where they could rattle off 20 wins easily. And also DeMarcus Cousins, aside from Clay Thompson, he's looking pretty good. I mean, he was only two for nine last night, but I think the way he's been utilized within that offense, he's passing the ball extremely well, just like he did prior to the injury. As the scoring comes back, boy, I mean, I think looking back at our initial reactions to, oh goodness, like they got DeMarcus Cousins too, that might have been for good reason because he looks great early on. Yeah, we had wondered how he was going to fit within the context of the Golden State Warriors, who are certainly a wide-open, turn-you-over-or-catch-the-ball-off-of-the-rim-and-start-flying-down-to-their-spots-in-transition-and-bang-down-threes. How does, uh, I don't want to say plotting, because he's not, not necessarily well, plotting. Well, he could have been plotting post-Achilles injury. Like sure, that, right. We totally, didn't know what he's totally going to look fair. like. Yeah. What's well, ruined careers. Yeah. Guys no are just never the same, at least for the most part. Wes Matthews, even though he did, thank God for him, get his big contract, he's not the same. Mario Chalmers was never the same after his Achilles. It has, it's a devastating injury to have. But in terms of how he fits within the Golden State context, and it's going to be a work in progress, but what do you see so far? Well, I mean, I think with Boogie, Look, he's only faced the Clippers and the Lakers. Like, there's going to be greater challenges moving forward. I mean, this is the Lakers without LeBron, and not just without LeBron, but without Lonzo and without Rajon Rondo. For teams that have a really, really strong pick-and-roll attack, that'll be a new challenge for Boogie to see how he moves defensively, how he can either switch onto the perimeter, how he can hedge or drop. Teams are going to attack him. They're going to challenge DeMarcus Cousins. It's always been a question with him, and it's definitely going to be a question moving forward as the teams and the challenges get tougher for the Golden State Warriors. However, like as I said, I think on the offensive end of the floor, he already looks comfortable within that offense. I think he's made smart, quick decisions. Like you mentioned how, how they play, Chris. That balance that he can offer, it just throws a new look out there for Golden State. I, I All through the year, they've always they attack the post. 
when they feed the post, Kevin Durant's really the only guy that looks to score from the post. Usually when they feed the post, it's pass first for everybody. Every big man, when they're posting up, they're looking to pass. DeMarcus Cousins can do that, but he's also going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of single-team coverage who could be facing switches against smaller players that may force a double-team because he's on a smaller guy. I think that's where he's going to make the greatest difference is on the post because even though Golden State takes a, they have a lot of three-point shooters, having him gives them just another guy that they can feed in the post and he can facilitate from there and also help them get to the rim more because Golden State doesn't get many at-rim opportunities. Yeah, you think over this run with Golden State, the opportunity was to always, you know, the teams that were able to really, really push them were the teams that were able to do it through defense, slow the games down, and then in large part, destroy them on the boards, punish them for playing small. They are at their best when they are playing small. And so whether it was Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol, or whether it was that triumphant of Serge Ibaka and Steven Adams and Enos Cantor, who they brought in. Tristan Thompson. Yeah, right. I mean, Tristan Thompson, you go back to even that series, you're talking about like 15 rebound games that this guy was having. And so can you punish them for playing their best lineups? sometimes and be able to make it to where if they miss, you get the ball. And if you miss, you get the ball. You're just killing them on the offensive glass on a regular basis. And the truth is he takes that away. You know what I'm saying? Like in the case that somebody wants to go big and supersize it and say, you match up with us and we're going to make you pay for having Draymond guard our center, or we're going to make you pay for having Iguodala guard our power forward or whatever it may be, that that's all off the table now, Kev, right? The one thing you could do to be able to, you know, really make them uncomfortable, if you've got cousins that you can throw out there, like that, that's no longer an advantage. Yeah. Yep. That's what worries me as you watch them now. We talked ourselves into somebody having a a chance this year, Right. And over the course of the last week, <laughs> you were there. Yeah. I mean, they killed We Denver. talked ourselves into it, but then it's also like, yeah, am I just yeah, having right. delusions? You mentioned Seriously. that Denver game, Chris. I know. Since Christmas, since they had that really tough loss against the Lakers, they're 10 and 2. Their two losses have been by one point in overtime against Portland <laughs> and Houston. This team is starting to really click. And with, with, I think they have 10 games left until the All Star break, winners of eight in a row. Mm. It just feels like they're starting to really click. And, you know, I think if they don't win all the next eight, probably seven of them, that's not unreasonable to assume, despite having some difficult games. That that game against Denver last week, oh my goodness, have we ever seen anything like that? 51 I points in the first quarter, the way they came out in that game. Let me tell you this, Kev. Unbelievable. 38 is a great quarter. A great quarter. Oh, Denver, yeah, scoring 38. That's what Denver yeah. had. 38 is like... <laughs> That's the most shocking thing of all of it. And I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first podcasts we did years ago was (laughs) we did this like it was like a holiday wishes, like our Christmas (laughs) wishes, what we would want to see post New Year. And one of the things that I said on that podcast was I want to see a 50 point quarter. (laughs) We've had multiple 50 point quarters in the last couple of years. Since we did that, Houston's had a fifty-point quarter, and obviously you you were there in the in the media section for that Golden State Denver game. I mean, there shouldn't be enough time. You've only got twelve minutes, 
right? You, you only got 12 minutes. How are you scoring over four points per minute? There should be a time constraint that doesn't allow that to take place. And yet, there they are. We saw another 50-point quarter, and that night, that's just downright scary. I mean, because none of them could miss. Durant's, like, perfect from the field. Thompson's perfect from the field. That was just a tsunami. I'm at the point with this team where, you know, we're ways into this dynasty right now, assuming they win it again, which would be, to me, surprising if they don't. I mean, I'd take them over the field right now. Assuming this could be the last year, but KD could leave and go to the Knicks. Marcus Cousins will be really tough for them to re-sign him um, because of the amount of money that they can offer compared to other teams. I believe they can only offer around five or six million, depending on what other moves happen, while other teams can offer whatever. I'm gonna just try to enjoy this, right? Like this juggernaut, this team with five oh, all stars. No. You gotta try oh, to enjoy no. it, man. Like, I'm like, feeling it. We, we may never I, see I'm this feeling with, it. again. No. Ever. I'm we, we, may, it, we may never I, see this again, Chris. No, five I know what this means. Look, when I, I was when I was in Denver last week, <laughs> when I was in Denver, I was standing pregame waiting for Michael Malone's pregame. And <laughs> it's just funny. It's like Draymond walks in with Katie right behind him. Then DeMarcus Cousins comes, and then Stephen Curry comes. It's just like a train of all-stars walking through. It was like, it's Clay next, it's Clay next, and it wasn't. Like, the streak was broken, but it was four all-stars walking in in a row. The point, it's crazy. Well, I mean, what? It's like Clay Thompson's like the best player on, what, like 15, 20 teams in the <laughs> league right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he hasn't had a good yeah. season until recently. Yeah. <laughs> He's and he's like third he's, best, yeah. right? Third or fourth, depending on like how you value Draymond with the current yes. season that he's having. But depending on yeah. depending on how you value Draymond, there is no argument that he's at the top two. So <laughs> now, when your third best guy so could funny. be the best player on half the teams in the league, it seems like there's a problem. But no, you know what I was chuckling about is when you got on this little uh, diatribe about. You know, I'm just enjoy going it. to enjoy it. Yeah. You know what that means. I know what's coming next now, Kevin. <laughs> what? <laughs> the don't take the Warriors no, for not, granted tweet. I, yes, no, it I'm is. Not, I, it's it's not coming. coming. It's not I coming. I feel it. It's I not. feel it. It's coming. <laughs> don't take the Warriors for granted tweet. <laughs> it's coming. Is it already in your drafts? No, it's not. No, I, I, <laughs> though, though, maybe it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you this. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet that out one night when they're having an amazing game. You'll get ratioed. I know I will. Yeah. But I'm going to uh I'm gonna tweet that out. Don't take the Warriors for granted. And then I'm just gonna put in parentheses Kevin O'Connor voice. Oh boy. <laughs> Don't take them for granted, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't because we'll look back at this time and be like, man, that was kind of cool seeing all those great players on one team. I don't know how fondly I'll remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness that's over. You might just yeah. Be when saying. everybody said it ruined yeah. the league, yeah. Hey, yeah. might have. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let me ask you about being in that arena last night. And I know that there are conversations that go on amongst the media and people involved with the team. Was there any talk last night? about what everybody feels is an inevitability, and that is Carmelo Anthony wearing a Lakers jersey. I don't think I had any conversations last night from what I can remember. Oh, I did have one, pregame. Pregame, it was mentioned that it would be depressing if Carmelo Anthony came to the Lakers. But I 
<laughs> I think <laughs> who said that? Brandon uh, Ingram, <laughs> <laughs> LeBron. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I do think for this is real. This is talking about a depressing statement. Carmelo was at least an upgrade over Michael Beasley for the 15th player on your roster. <laughs> um, but uh, him wearing the wrong shorts yeah. the other night oh, was just goodness. an all timer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is the absolute best. <laughs> it's so best. great. Um, you know, it's, it's so funny. I, I don't want to slander him, right? Because he is such a eccentric, funny personality. Oh, yeah. But years ago, uh, David Fisdale, who is now the current head coach of the Knicks, was talking about, he was asked to talk about Russell Westbrook and the season he was having when he was averaging that triple-double. And he goes on this speech and he's like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm piling on Michael Beasley because Beasley has had this great career, whatever he said. But when I was with the Miami Heat, we drafted Michael second overall. And he said, and we get to Vegas for summer league, right? And you're going to go through the practices and whatever. And I, he might have been coaching the summer league team at that point. It would stand to reason he was considering he was a top assistant for Spolstra for many, many years. And he says, uh, we're, we've got our first workout you know, and it's like, whatever, 10 o'clock in Vegas. And he says, and so we get to the gym and he's not there. And he says, I'm telling this story not to pile on Michael Beasley, but rather to explain to you, Russell Westbrook, who had already been in the gym for two hours and was pouring with sweat. And there was nobody <laughs> and there was nobody there. And he said, and we had to go to the hotel and wake up Beasley. And he huh. said, he said, the second I saw that, I could have told you that Russell Westbrook was going to be one of the great players in our league. And so it was weird. It wasn't necessarily a story about Beasley, but I remember it as a story about Beasley and the fact that they had to go wake him up, right? Like in Vegas, right after they had drafted him. And I always think of that, like when I see something goofy, like what happened the other night with him trying to check in the game with those black shorts on. That was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, I think with stuff like that, it reminds me of the conversation a couple of years ago um, when Michael Beasley did the podcast with Taylor Rooks. And he was talking mm -hmm. about how he's like, you know how the human humans only use 10% of their brain, right? <laughs> he's like, what, what happens when the guy, who's the guy that's going to be able to use 11% of his brain or something like that? And that went viral and everything, wearing, wearing his goat in New York shirt. I hope, like, if there's ever something in real life, like the movie Limitless or Transcendence, those movies where, like, you can take a pill and become smarter or whatever. I hope Michael Beasley's the number one candidate for that. In retrospect, we should have uh, not called this podcast The Mispatch, but rather 11% of your brain or something, <laughs> something to that effect. Um, is it back to the Carmelo thing? Obviously, he now no longer has that contract with the Houston Rockets, the Bulls. They're not exactly acquiring Carmelo Anthony to help them. Oh, by the way, what happened games. yesterday with league office being closed, not being able yeah. to make that Carmelo trade uh, happen? Right. Jeez, that stinks for, well, for Houston I, having to come at James Nellali. <laughs> that sucks. So right? anyway, it was on a 10-day, but still, come on. Now, what do you think? Do you think that we see Carmelo Anthony in a Laker uniform? I don't know. I do. I don't know. I do. I mean, when I reported at the time, I, I said um, Lakers, Blazers, and then um, Mark Spears also reported Heat and Sixers could be options yep. for him. I don't know. I'm really interested to see what happens Carmelo here because I think he should be in a league. He's, if you're 
30 rosters of 15 players or 17 if you want to include two-way guys. That's 510 players. He's Carmelo Anthony is one of the 510 best basketball players in the world, right? He should be on a team. It's just a matter of is a team willing to take that risk knowing the fact that he says he wants to contribute. Can he contribute at this point? He doesn't defend well. His yeah. scoring, he still takes a lot of mid-range jumpers. I'm not sure where the fit is. Like, is there a team that stands out to you? I just Chris, think where it's, it's one like of it's those, worth the risk. Like the Blazers, maybe. I, I don't know. You know, I was insanely against him signing with the Houston Rockets because I thought they've got something great that can be screwed up, and of course he did. For the brief amount of time that he was there, he was one of the worst net rating players in the entire NBA for a franchise that won, you know, over 60 games. Houston was also underachieving year. overall, though. Like the whole team was to start the year. I get that, but I don't think that it was a good fit anyway. That being said, they had something great that I thought could be screwed up. If you are a team that doesn't have anything great going on anyway, it's a risk reward thing. What's your risk if you're messing up a team that's not right now either not going to make the playoffs or struggling to make the playoffs or does not have a high ceiling once they get to the playoffs anyway? Then at that point, I could say, hey, it's worth trying. But I just don't think it's worth trying if you've got a really good team that you could screw up. But what if you can make a really good team better? I mean, I don't I, think, I think that's possible. I still, I think that's hard to believe. I, it's hard for me to believe that a really good team is going to get better by adding look, him. I know, but like with Houston, with their setup, with their type of system, my argument for why it made sense to try and experiment with Carmelo Anthony before the season was well, first of all, a because there's no risk because you can get rid of him easily, and that's exactly what happened if it doesn't work out. But the upside was that with Carmelo Anthony, he's a six foot eight, six foot nine power forward who can space the floor for you, but he also offers a different wrinkle in the sense that he can be used as a screener in pick and roll or he can run pick and roll. So instead of always using a smaller guy, a guard, he presented a diversity of options for the I team. Know Having this a bigger, is your I just theoretical. Didn't, it just didn't work. That's your theoretical. It's because he's not good anymore, dude. That's why. Kevin, it's because he hasn't set five screens in his career. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but he actually he did screen for Houston. It's just he doesn't want to do it. But the point the, the point was the experiment was if this guy who's yeah. been had a great career, right? Like let's not underrate Carmelo Anthony here. I I think I've always had issues with his game, but he's had a great career. If this great player finally is like, I'm willing to sacrifice, finally, I'm willing to sacrifice and do things outside of my comfort zone, I think it could have worked and didn't. So they got rid of him. No risk. Before we get to stuff that's coming up towards the trade deadline, I do want to ask you about a couple other moves that have been made, or at least one other that has been made, and that is the acquisition of Kenneth Farid. Do you think we see a revival of Kenneth Farid and a guy that can contribute or is he just done? Because obviously he was he has not been a big contributor in quite a long time. No, he has not at all. It, it was interesting towards the end of his tenure with the Nets, they started having him shoot corner threes, <laughs> which, which, which was quite interesting. Uh, Brooklyn is the factory for turning bigs into three-point shooters. He was one of five. I, mean, I believe two of those misses were air balls. But I, I think... With Houston, to relate this to what we were just talking about with Carmelo, like with their wings, a lot of it is, you know, you need to defend spotting up, spacing the floor for James Harden and Chris Paul. With their bigs, it's screening and rim running. And you need to be on defense. You obviously need to be able to protect the rim, rebound, and switch. 
That's right. So can he do that? Well, you know, he's... I guess we're going to find out. I mean, listen, they're playing the artist formerly known as Nene. So... Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> can you do the that thing. as well as him? Exactly. And I think he can. I think Fareed can be better than, than Nene. And also, you know, last night he looked pretty good already, cutting, diving in the pick and roll for Houston. For him, it's going to be a matter of the defensive end of the floor. We'll see. I think he's at least an upgrade for short-term until Clint Capella gets back. And that's ultimately all that matters. They get Capella back and then he stays healthy for their playoff run. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it. First, we need to tell everybody about our NBA watch of the night, which is going to be the Blazers versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's on NBA TV tonight. These are two teams that have played extremely well this season. They appear to be, I mean, of all the teams that have been fighting and jockeying for position in the Western Conference. We are now past the midway point, and it feels like I would be surprised if either of those teams weren't playoff teams. You have Portland, who is, I mean, they're actually, I guess they're tied in terms of games back right now. Both won their last two games, and currently they would both be home court advantage teams. Right now, Oklahoma City's third, Portland is fourth. Uh, saw Oklahoma City play yesterday at lunchtime against the uh, New York Knicks. And Portland played yesterday also, didn't they? Yes, they did. Two back-to-backs. Who'd they play? It was Jazz yes, they played yesterday. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And Utah. got the win 109-104. to 104. And so now they both turn around back-to-back for both of these teams at Oklahoma City, Portland versus the Thunder. This is going to be a very good game. It is. For sure. The last, their last matchup together, Paul George dropped 37 points. The outstanding MVP caliber season that he's had for them on both ends of the floor. Portland's going to have to do a much better job of containing Paul George. Nobody has done a great job of containing mm-hmm. him for the most part this year. He has had just a out-of-his-mind season so far. Remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com, Amazon, or your local cable or satellite provider. A couple of notes about teams that are headed towards the trade deadline, one of which, well, you've got these teams that have no particular interest in winning or certainly winning a lot of games this season. Mm -hmm. And so with that being the goal in mind and you have some big contracts on your books, the people expect those teams, you know, you will go and you will try to find the veterans and the guys with bigger contracts on those teams that might be able to help other teams. And so I'll just go through these uh, one by one. And and most importantly, the, the names that have kind of been reported out there over the course of the last week or so include the Knicks, Atlanta, Cleveland, teams like this, right? The Knicks, you have the whole Frankie, Nilakina and Enos Cantor things going on. So it feels like the quotes lately are trying to build up Frankie as a, as a, as a guy that teams would want. And then Cantor, you've got this whole, if they can't find a trade partner, a possibility of him being a buyout candidate. And then clearly he could sign with another team. Where are you at on possible return for either of the would you give up anything of real value for either of those two players and what do you think about the future of most importantly Nilakina? do you think that the Knicks should be moving on from obviously he was the last of the Phil Jackson draft picks so I can imagine that David Fisdale Scott Perry and the like they don't have the same amount of stock in him as the previous regime would have had 
I don't know. What do you make of it? Well, I think with Frank Nilakina, one of the things to keep in mind is a like he could end up never being a good offensive player. Like right now, he's not. He he can't create off the dribble. He can't score. <laughs> he can't do the things that you need from your point guard. However, when he was drafted in 2017, the expectation with Frank Nilakina was that he's gonna suck on the offensive of the floor early in his career. The expectation was that he's going to need to defend. And that's exactly what he's done early in his career. He's already a very good defender at only 20 years old. And that's the thing. He's still so young that I'm not, if I'm another team, I would be happy to bring in Nilakina, knowing that he can defend for my franchise. And you know what? Maybe over the course of the time, he develops his ball handling skills that really activates his passing. Because I think Nilakina both overseas and now with the Knicks, he has shown that he can at least pass the ball. He has good vision, but the problem is, is that he doesn't have the shot creation ability. And I think if I'm another team that is willing to invest the resources into that development, I'd be very happy to have him on my team. Now for the Knicks, obviously, they have bigger plans this summer. They want to chase Kevin Durant. They want to try to add an in the second star with him as well. And they also have other young point guards that they might prefer. Emmanuel Moutier is having somewhat of a resurgence with the Knicks. Maybe you'd rather invest in him moving forward. Even Trey Burke has turned into a six-man for them as well. I think maybe for the Knicks, it's just about the wrong situation for Nilakina. I mean, maybe getting an asset for him, like Dallas tried to do with Dennis Smith, getting an asset that fits what you're trying to build better moving forward makes sense. Um, but with that said, I, I would be happy to add Nilakina if I'm a different team willing to invest in him. Do you think he is ever a starting point guard on a good team? <sighs> Look, man, I I know this is like kind of a cop-out answer, but so much of his situation, he's never going to be a primary ball handler, but can he be like a weird, funky two or three on a team with multiple ball handlers because he's such a defensive ace? Yeah, of course he can. But he's never going to be. He's never going to be a primary guy, if that makes sense. What about Cantor? Obviously, the last time he was on a very good team, there's that famous clip of Billy Donovan on the bench, and the camera caught him can't saying, play he, we, "We can't play him." <laughs> and so there is a limit to Cantor. He obviously puts up big, big numbers on a regular night in the regular season, but we have seen him be in the playoffs at the highest level and him be rendered unplayable. Do you think that limits? what teams would give up for what would be a normally in in this situation you would say a very productive player certainly offensively productive and a guy that can get buckets and a guy that can rebound and yet defensively becomes such a liability and is so able to be thrown into pick and rolls do you think the market for him is going to be so dried up that he does in fact become a buyout guy with Cantor it's tough to construct a deal because he's making $18.6 million this year. So it's hard to find a team that either has cap space or matching salaries that they'd be willing to give up for Canner. So that eliminates a lot of teams already. There was that report that the Kings could have interest in him. Maybe they could swap one of their other expiring guys, somebody like Zach Randolph. They have cap space to absorb it. So Randolph for Cantor would work. Is that something, if you're Sacramento, Chris, if you, you know suddenly your hiders GM there, are you making that move to help make a little bit of a playoff push? Or are you like, you know what? Why bring in Cantor? Because that's just taking away developmental time from Bagley and Giles and even Collie Sign for that matter. I would not simply because I've had 600,000 centers in Sacramento. Mm. The other thing is that would be very strange because it was, in fact, David Fisdale who 
relegated Zach Randolph to the bench once upon a time. A very proud individual. He played it as a professional the entire year, but was not super thrilled about that. And I can't imagine the Knicks having him to play him. Maybe they and just so, wave him. Get it, maybe you make the trade well, and wave this, right I'm, off. I'm, I'm hopeful for Zebos. You know I love him. He can still play, and he could certainly come off somebody's bench and get you rebounds and buckets. And even in the playoffs, when the games get tough, you need hard-nosed guys like that. And so I'm hoping that he ends up on a team. I do think he could help a team win. I do. And obviously he has his own defensive issues, but he is just such a ferocious competitor. And I actually saw him recently. I mean, hell, he's in Memphis all the time. And he is in great shape. So I'm hoping he ends up on a team uh, where he could help somebody. But that just doesn't make all that much sense for those two teams to me, for Sacramento and for the Knicks. I don't know why you do that. (laughs) Do you want Zach Randolph back in Memphis? Oh, I don't think that that's happening. Do you want him back in Memphis? Well, he is. <laughs> Fine, is. let I mean, me rephrase my question. You, 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 you want to We can drive him. down to his house tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, do you want him back playing for the Grizzlies? <laughs> oh, I mean, at this point, it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Would I like to see him end his career? Sure. In great. a uniform? Yes. Yeah. I mean, why not? That's why like, it would be great if the trade happened. At least it'd be something to cheer about. If the Knicks were to wave Randolph. Then he could, yep. you know, sign with the Grizzlies or something like that, and you know, yeah, why not just retire with the team? It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, get the band back together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, let me ask you about a couple of these other teams. If you are another GM, Dwayne Dedman, Kent Bazemore, the Ringer's own Kent Bazemore, ah. are names that have frequently come up as you know guys. Listen, Atlanta is winning games. <laughs> you know, they've got like. You know, they're like 11 and 17 or something yeah, in their won last three of their games. last 10. That's too much. That's yeah, too much. Collins you, you, has been out of his mind. You lose more games. You're not losing as well as you can, Atlanta. Come on. Get on it. It might help the cause if they get rid of some of these veteran guys. Deadman Baysmore, if you are a good team out there, which of those has particular interest to you? It's Deadman. And one of the main reasons why is similar to the conversation with Cantor. It's the money. Kent Bazemore is making $18 million this year with an option, a player option, by the way. <laughs> He's gonna definitely picking this up for $19.3 million next season. So you're taking on two years for a guy that is a solid role player, but he's not quite worth that. Whereas Deadman making $7.2 million is a free agent this summer, short-term addition, and that's about all you would want on him. I think Deadman, he's another one of those bigs. There's an endless list of big men that have added three-pointers. And Deadman has turned himself into a 36 37% three-point shooter um, in his two years with the Atlanta Hawks. And he's a solid defensive player who rebounds and generally plays hard. Why wouldn't you want somebody like Dwayne Deadman? I'd be chasing after him more so than, than Kent Bazemore. And not only that, Chris, not only that, got to keep the Winging It podcast together. Yep. Can't break that up. Let me move to Cleveland, another team that's going to lose a boatload of games that has some veterans on their team. We already saw Corver move on earlier this year. A guy that was actually acquired in that trade is another guy that could be moving on. Alec Burks, and then you have uh, Tristan Thompson. But unfortunately for Tristan, he's got $18 million on the books Oof. next year. Do you have any interest in either of those two players if you are a good team looking to get better? Sure. <laughs> Burks is a solid player. I think he would be a, a solid addition. But here, like, here's the thing, man. Like, all these names we're listing, I've been talking to a handful of executives the past couple of weeks, and everybody 
everybody tends to think, and maybe this changes, but everybody tends to think this trade deadline is just going to be a bunch of Alec Burks-esque players getting swapped. Just a bunch of you know hmm. moves that don't really move the needle for either team. It's just a swap of assets. Alec Burks is a solid player. He's not changing the championship formula for No, anybody, I get you. you know? If we want to have like a good trade deadline, what we need to have take place is like a week before it, a big movement by like a contender happen. Because then it all of a sudden puts the pressure on a lot of the peers to say, well, wow, they just really improved themselves. And so now maybe we need to start looking at what we can do here. That's what we need to have happen if there's any chance of having a trade deadline where, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago, we're talking about like a third of the league, <laughs> you know, changing teams. I mean, it, <laughs> it has happened before. And especially now with the, with the cap going up, a lot of these big, big contracts that were signed when the cap went up exorbitantly the first time, those things are, there's a year left on those. The Baysmores, the Harrison Barnes, the Chandler Parsons, like all those contracts that were signed that offseason those become expirings next year. So maybe it, I don't know, maybe it becomes a little more active than we think, but what we need is somebody to make a big move prior to the deadline. That could trigger some things, but I, I also think even if a big surprise deal were to happen, like like the Blake Griffin deal that happened between the Clippers and Pistons, I don't think that would necessarily trigger other big moves. It could just, you know, trigger conversations that carry into the summer. I just don't think there's, a, there's not a lot of great players that would even be conceivably available right now. How about the Dennis Smith Jr. situation and this weirdness that has gone on away with the team? Now Rick Carlisle gives out this statement. He's back with the team. It feels a little bit to me because of the messages that were put out over the course of the last week that everybody in the free world knew that it wasn't working with Dennis Smith. Here's the numbers when he's on the court with Luca. It's not working out with him and Rick Carlisle in the relationship, even though Carlisle, you know, says he called and apologized to Dennis Smith and whatever else. It feels like that story got out there everywhere. And then they had to like fix it a little bit in the sense of first plant the stories out there that no, 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 unless they can get a good trade, they still believe in it and he can be part of the future. They're going to work it out. And then you have the whole Carlisle good PR yesterday <laughs> with the Kumbaya with Dennis. It just feels like Carlisle apologizing. It just feels like this is a reaction to like that. What they realized is people ain't giving up crap for Dennis Smith. And it did not work in their favor for the story to be out there that they might have a level of discontent with him and he might be available and so now you have to make it look like, no, 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 we're fine with keeping him if you don't want to give us anything that we really want. And so what you do now is try to do all that repairing in hopes that deals could become a little bit better because it feel like you have some leverage. Like, And the leverage would be fine. We'll just keep him when everybody knows you probably don't want to. Well, you got to bring him back for multiple reasons. They, they haven't won a game since J.J. Barrera got hurt, so they need another point guard to back up Luka Doncic along with Jalen Brunson. So they need Dennis Smith back. And you're right, Chris. It also has to do with you know your leverage and negotiations. Right now, Dennis Smith's value has plummeted. So it's in his best interest to return and restore his value as a player who's only 21 years old, was just drafted ninth. A lot of executives I've talked to had him ranked higher than ninth. So that people like Dennis Smith around the league, but he needs to restore his value. And for Dallas, they need to, you know, 
gain some leverage to actually get something of worth for a guy who's young and talented because some people are like, oh, Dallas is giving up on Dennis Smith. It doesn't work there. They're not giving up on a 21-year-old guy who just invested a ninth pick in and who has made some strides this season too. Look, I mean, he was extremely inefficient scoring last year. So far this year, he's been better. He's been better shooting the ball, and maybe that's just a small sample, but he's been better. He's tried harder on the defensive end of the floor as well, which was a big problem for him in college and last season as a small point guard. I think with Dennis Smith, you have to try to make it work, even if the intention is to eventually trade him for something that fits better. Because with Luka, you ideally would have a secondary ball handler who is bigger, who can also defend at a higher level than Dennis Smith. I hope for them they're able to find something. But I, I think right now it's going to be about maximizing Dennis Smith. And I, I'm curious what you think about this, Chris. I, I threw this out on Friday's Ringer NBA show. I would love to see them run some high pick and roll with Luka screening for Dennis Smith. I think that could present some issues for the, for defenses. If you're going to switch that, Luka's going to have a smaller guy on him or Dennis Smith is going to have a slower-footed player, possibly, that he might be able to drive against. And then if you don't switch that, well, Dennis Smith going full steam down the lane or Luka Doncic popping or short rolling, I think that could be a really interesting way for Dallas to spark their offense. And with that, you could also help restore Dennis Smith's value or figure out maybe, you know what, we're going to keep this guy for now. Yeah, what are the reasons that those other two guys, Brunson and Berea, have had so much success being alongside Doncic on the court and yet Dennis Smith has not? And are there things that you could pull away that those other two guys do that could help the cause? Because right now, for whatever reason, that pairing has been much less effective than the other two. So, I mean, I guess the first thing I would do is take a deep dive into, okay, what happens when Berea is with Doncic? What happens with Brunson is a Doncic? And you can just say, well, those are headier players that make the right decisions yeah, more often than not and don't break off from the play that Carlisle that's, calls. That's pretty much it, I think. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But but do you just put your hands up in the air and say, this ain't going to work, or do you try to? And at this point, they are at the position where they have to try to make it work. Well, I mean, that, that's one of the, the weird parts in all of this is how Rick Carlisle has somehow just evaded blame through all yes. of it. He, I mean, with the apology and, you know, according to Sham Sharania, Carlisle, quote, was expressing remorse over situation. Even post-apology and pre-apology, there's been really no blame directed at Rick Carlisle for failing to install a talented 21-year-old point guard that showed flashes of being a really good player last year. Oh, I've seen very good coaches be at their wit's end with, they just can't take it. With the development that it takes with rookie point guards. Oh, for sure. They can't. They can't take it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially when you have Luka Doncic, who you want the ball in his hands as much as possible now. I saw a coach say to hell with it with Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's made eight all-star teams or whatever he's made. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I was here. I saw him. I mean, I was with Kyle as a rookie. And, and there's <laughs> been all kinds of them in the past. I'm just saying that's one with personal experience I saw where it was like, uh, this ain't going to work. Obviously, it worked. Now, it was many years down the line. I will tell you, anybody could go look up Mike Conley's first four to five years of his career. They're terrible. Four or five years where he wasn't that uh, very good player. And then it caught on. But development of point guards, especially when you are drafting guys at very young ages, a lot of guys cannot withstand it because it leads to losing basketball. It just does. It's hard to win with a rookie point guard. There's very few that have ever done it. Kid 
in some measure, Rose in Chicago, but generally rookie point guards are not on winning teams. Yeah, and, and that's why when Dallas picked him, this whole saga was not predictable, but Carlisle's frustration with him was very predictable. When you're drafting a young point guard who's two of his biggest weaknesses in college and entering the league were his decision-making and his defensive effort, that's going to piss off any coach, especially Rick Carlisle. Yeah, that's why somebody like a Brunson, who is more like a Brogdon, these guys that are four-year players are certainly more advanced basketball-wise and better equipped, and that's why they're able to get on the floor early for teams that even win games. And they become, you know, coaches' pets because they are, they're just more advanced. And when you're trying to learn how to be a point guard on the fly in the NBA, it is not easy at all. It's just not. For what it's worth, I, I know there's probably somebody being like, Brunson's not as good as Brogdon. And then, of course, he's not right now, but Brogdon is also four years older. Brogdon's 26, Brunson's 22. Oh, it, I'm it, just saying. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah I'm agreeing. Oh, with I you. get it. It's that structure, like a smart, high IQ player who makes right decisions, who, you know, hustles, all that. That's what you're saying. And I, I'm, I'm yeah, totally I'm with saying, you. Yeah. Totally. It is hard to get minutes on any team. Yeah. That's not just a rat team. A coach needs somebody that he can trust and knows is going to make the right play. Well, and what they do is they go try to find some old guy that can just be the backup point guard, right? I'm living through it right now with the kid that was drafted very highly in the second round, a four-year player in Javon Carter. Well, you go and get Shelvin Mack so he can play ahead of him. And it sucks. It sucks. You know, you'd rather start developing what you got for the future and find out what you got there. That being said, I do need to ask you, uh, try not to talk about him very much outside of stories that I can relate from personal experience. But you said earlier that there probably aren't a lot of good players available for this upcoming trade deadline. I have to bring up that there might be two extremely good ones. Uh oh. <laughs> and those might be Mike Conley and Marcus All. Hey! Because after what took place yesterday, for those of you unaware, the Grizzlies have now lost 17 of their last 20 games. They look like a team with that is completely broken and spiritless. Let's go. Get another pick. Woo! And you have <laughs> Mike Conley and you have Mark Gasol who appear to be two broken members of this. And so, I mean, you're, listen, you're not intentionally losing. You cannot help yourself from losing. Are you? <laughs> That's what has taken place with them now. And so it stands to reason that when you are in the situation that you are in, that teams will inevitably call. And who knows? I honestly, I can tell you, I don't know if they would move them, but I'm sure that if it was not being considered a few weeks ago, now it would be heavily considered or at least talked about. And, you know, Marcus has got a trade kicker, which now it feels like he might be willing to waive mm -hmm. if you could get him to a winning team because all he wants to do is win and it is not happening for him right now. And so I don't know what they're going to do, but it is a possibility that there are two that are out there that could maybe be gotten if the price was super high. I wonder with Gasol, he has that player option for next right. season, if he would be willing to opt out of that and instead sign a cheaper long-term deal. Well, that was always you the know? plan in Memphis. That was exactly the profile of the Zach Randolph deal. Zach Randolph did, picked up the option and then signed two extras for whatever it was, like $10 million or $12 million or whatever it was at the time. 
And so that was kind of like what was going to happen with Mark Gasol. And I don't know what will take place. And I don't know if you could get anything for them anyway. But you've got to start changing your calculus when you lose. It's one thing to lose to the Pelicans without Anthony Davis on the one time that you're on national TV. It's quite another to lose the game by 20 points. That is a team that is just (laughs) broken completely right now. And so do they just have a sell-off? Which is obviously it's it's sucks. like we bickered at each other about on Twitter the other day though it's too late I mean what are you really going to get from Marcus Soul right now right I mean, Conley you can still something get something good he's had, had another good season individually yeah right no Conley's right. a really good player still it's just a matter of also which team needs a point guard that's going to make thirty two million dollars next year thirty five million dollars a year after which team is going to be willing to pay for that guy that even needs a point guard? There's there's not yep. many out there. So I, I think for Memphis, it's it's tough to find deals that make sense to do at this point. The window to, to trade those guys was a couple years ago. Yeah, and I'll just say this re- real quickly regarding that, because I know we joke about it a lot, the whole blowing it up and losing on purpose in order to get high draft picks. That's great. One of the reasons <laughs> it bothers me to no end, obviously, listen, I am against losing on purpose no matter. I just think that that is ridiculous. And <laughs> something where people spend money to go watch it. I understand the benefits it can have for the future, even though those are not as good as they once were, given the new structure. But just for me to explain, like, obviously, I know people intimately that are involved in this, and it affects so many other things. Like, I guess in big markets, it doesn't particularly matter. But in small markets where you're the only team, You have no idea the profound – listen, it has a profound effect on the actual basketball players and the coaches and whatever else, but you have a ton of people that depend on it. You know, you have a ton of people that are – whether it is vendors that have spent a fortune to have their small business inside an arena or ushers or sponsors, Mm -hmm. or you have all kinds of people that work for an organization. I mean, I saw a team tank last year. I also saw bloodletting in great people that go and get other jobs somewhere else. And maybe they're salespeople or maybe they work for the team or maybe they're ushers or maybe they're attendants for the parking lot or in a town like this where downtown it survives all these businesses around survive by having a hopping arena and fun things going on. And so when a team becomes irrelevant or apathy sets in, it has a profound effect on a lot of people outside of just a, video game, we are going to lose so we can hope to get a high draft pick going forward. And that bothers me to no end. And I do think it is a lot harder to pull off than if you are in a big market. No, People are going to go to Madison Square Garden just because it's an event no matter what. And they've put out a pathetic product for years. That's not true in other cities, you know? And so that's why it's daunting to think about how, how do you get Next, and the truth is, when the answer is always just suck again, I think you need to figure out why do you suck now? And you've got to hold those people accountable. Yeah. And over and over, they have fired coaches. Do you switch players? You, you, you got three things you can do. Your front office, your coach, and your players. So who becomes accountable? And until you get to figure that out, it does you no good to just be terrible. And that's why teams stay terrible is because they lose on purpose, they get the high draft pick, but a high draft pick can't cover up bad management or bad coaching or or bad roster design or whatever it may be. And so when the easy answer is always, just suck and maybe you'll get a great player, it doesn't fix anything. Because they did for one year. They sucked. 
and they've got hopefully a future star in Jaron Jackson Jr. But that hasn't helped anything for this year, and they have absolutely blown a healthy season for Mike Conley and Marcus All. And those guys, who knows? Maybe you just look now and say, the future is Jaron Jackson, and we got to figure out how to build around him and get as many future assets as we can towards that cause. I don't know. I agree with every single thing you said in terms of it affecting more than just the team. It affects a lot within each city. I just think when we were talking about this two years ago, our first year during the podcast, the 2016-17 season, to me at the time, it was about the timing of preventing that that suffering from being longer, that those were better draft classes to get better players. And they got one of them in Jaron Jackson. You know, fortunately, fortunately, last year, they had injuries that led to them getting a player who can change their future. And you mentioned it's, you know, for one year, they stunk and got a really, really promising player. Well, they it's not the only time. And 2006-07 season, they stunk that year, and then they got Mike Conley, a guy who has set up this long, sustained run. Granted, it took a while for him to get going. We've went back and forth. There's no argument. Higher draft picks tends to lead to better players. It's just a fact. And that's why for Memphis, with this year's draft, I hope for them that they end up, you know, if they were to win the lottery, they nail their pick. But the higher the pick, the higher the odds. That's it. I am aware that that is true, and I am aware God. that Dragon Bender comes in at the oh, very goodness. end of games. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He's the ultimate white flag in the oh, NBA. Boy. You loved him, too. Yeah, I still... You can get I, a bunch of high draft picks and still suck until you fix why you no kidding, suck. You can't, no kidding, of course. But you also maximize your chances of landing something really, 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 really good. Good teams don't lose on purpose. Good franchises, I mean. Yeah, tell that to the Sixers who have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And they're already trying to break that up. Oh, please. No, they're not. You tried to trade Ben Simmons on Bill Simmons' podcast no, two I, weeks no, ago. I Shut didn't. the hell up. No, I, yes, you talk, did. Don't, no that's you not true. You traded for Anthony Davis two weeks ago because well, it won't work. I traded for Anthony Davis. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> of course, traded for Anthony Davis. I was making You're already saying you he, oh, he's with Clutch, so he's going to go to the Lakers in a couple years anyway. And you can't win at the end no, of please, games because he can't shoot. Don't, don't take that out of context. The context of that was for the Pelicans' <laughs> perspective. If you're looking for a trade, you might want a guy who you feel confident will stay long term with your team. Uh, when they get bat- hey, listen, when they get batted out of the playoffs, and we'll say, "Oh, it was worth losing 650 games for six years," then you're going to be moved. you'll be trading <laughs> Ben Simmons by next season. Please, no. And by the way, they're the only two people, literally in the whole organization, that are around from all the losing. Two. Two. They're the only two. I guess the coach. Yeah, Brett Brown's been around. It's not about the actual person in place. The players that they had from that era, Covington and Sarge, led to Jimmy Butler. It's the decisions that were made then that led to having Cavs versus J.J. Redick. That's what it's about. The karate kid Jimmy Butler. You seen these new headbands? He had one. Drew Holiday had one yesterday. These Nike headbands yeah, that are karate kids. I remember preseason Kyrie and LeBron were, if I remember correctly, the first two that I, at training camp, I think, that wore those. It's, it's, it's those. so cool that players are wearing that everywhere across the league. It's dope. I, I love need, the look. I need one of those karate kid headbands. Maybe we Kevin, can wear, wear them while we podcast. We can. <laughs> People out there that worry about me and Kevin 
This is what friends do. They yell at each other yeah. and make fun of each just, other. Just like everybody else yells at each other, too. That's what friends do. They argue. Hopefully people understand. Uh, for everybody out there listening, thank you so much for listening. Again, head over to iTunes. Give us a rating and review there. Five stars. Five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you next week. Anyway.